Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Matty, could, um, could you just explain something for me? What am I explaining? Uh, just explain um, something. Are you saying explain? Just, I just want you to explain something. For explain, me. explain, 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 explain. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike. And me. <laughs> Dr. Matt. Uh, today, we're discussing the spleen. Do you ever watch Mystery Man? Never heard of that. Ben Stiller movie. One of the uh, superheroes of Mystery Man. They're sort of like these anti-heroes. One of the superheroes, or anti-heroes, is the spleen, played by Pee Wee Herman. What does he do? I can't remember. They've all got pretty pathetic uh, is powers. He, uh, is he sad? Uh, I don't know like if he's melancholic? sad. Don't know. Okay. Why is that? Does he vent his spleen? I don't know what that means. Oh, that's where the word comes from. To vent? Um, well, I think it's it's a similar background to, well, at least idiomatically from like, you know how we say in English, um, good-hearted. Yeah. So, the Greeks would have said, you are good-spleened. Really? Yeah. And because the spleen was what uh, to them? Seed of many emotions. Yeah, I thought it was the seed of bad temper. Bad temper, yep. So, if you're... Uh, I'm not sure if there's a term for it, but to, to vent one's spleen is to, you know, essentially get angry. Yeah, I think... And because you're a bit sick at the moment, you probably ex- express a lot of melancholy. Um, if I sound a bit weird, I've got a... Uh, sinus in- sinus yeah. infection. Yay. All right. Let's get into the spleen. What should we do? Anatomy? Oh, Where is it? It's a fairly commonly forgot about organ. Yeah, uh, I have right. to say, looking in my textbooks, 
and I've got a lot of them. Uh, I think if I were to add all the information of the spleen together, it would maybe be one to two pages. Not much. Mm. It is usually brushed over in both anatomy and physiology. Yeah. Yeah, my medical physiology textbook doesn't even have spleen in the index. (laughs) How's that? This is boron. This podcast, you mean? No, 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 no. I don't think this podcast is boron. But the textbook... Or the element boron. No, the author. Oh. Surname boron. And that's quite an extensive physiology text. Yeah. No spleen. All right, so um, let's get rolling. Firstly, should we... Well, where is it? Tell me where it is. So, if, uh, if I were to say to you, Matt, point to me where your spleen is, so everyone who's listening can see where you're pointing, <laughs> where is it? Okay, um, in relation to other things? Sure. Okay, so if you... Um, your reference point is your umbilicus or belly button. Yeah. It would be... Um, go superior. So, above it. And then go left. To the left. Okay. So, what, where the diaphragm is? So, the left upper quadrant is right. the location. Yep. So, under the diaphragm on the left-hand side? Under the left um, cup, left cup diaphragm. So, okay. if, got, if diaphragm's got the two cups, yeah. under the left cup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sits kind of below the um, stomach. Yeah. Okay. Has... Um, at least vascular relationships to the stomach. So, blood vessels coming off the splenic artery will go to the stomach. Important ones. Um, and then you, it sits on the left kidney. Okay. So, below it is the left kidney. Yeah. So, above it's the diaphragm, below it's the left kidney. Mm-hmm. And it's hilum, which is its entry um, entry point. Yeah. Like, kind of like the kidney has a hilum, the, the lung has a hilum. This is kind of the... What's the word? Doorway, I think. Sure. Something like that. Entry point was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's um, intimate with the tail of the spleen. It's the tail of the pancreas. Gotcha. I was going to say, it's intimate because with the pancreas, the tail. Most of the pancreas is retroperitoneal, which is behind the peritoneum. Yeah. So, like the left kidney would be. But, for some reason, um, the spleen pops back out. So, you're saying that when... So, the tail of the spleen is intraperitoneal then, because it's... Yes, that's right. Sort of brushing up against the hilum of the spleen, yep. and the left kidney that the spleen sits upon is going to be wrapped in that peritoneum if it's retroperitoneal, which behind means it. It's completely behind it. Which means the spleen sits on top of actually the peritoneum that's wrapped on the kidney. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you, you've got ligaments there, which I won't, I won't really go into. But All right. Um, but, okay. So that's so size-wise. Oh, well, good. So that it's it's called the. <laughs> The organ of odd numbers. Okay. So, the way I was taught was the spleen, when you remember the spleen anatomy anatomically, uh, one, one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven. Okay. They are so, odd numbers ascending. <laughs> so, one, three, and five mm-hmm. relates to its dimensions. Okay. So, one... Okay, what's the what, unit of measurement? Inches. We're in Australia. I know, I know, but this is, I guess, it was created in America. Can you translate? I will get to it, let's, but let's get rid of all the numbers first. Okay, so one inch is referring to what? Uh, thickness. Okay, three inches? Uh, width. Yeah, okay. Five inches? Height. Okay, and then seven inches? No, seven is ounces, so it's how heavy it is. Okay, and then nine... 11? So, that's the ribs it sits on. Number 9, 10, and 11. 
Okay. Mm. All right. Now, can we translate those inches into centimeters? Okay. So, one will be two and a half centimeters. Okay. Uh, three? Three, six, seven. About six to seven. Okay. And yeah. then another one would be 15 centimeters. All right. And seven ounces is about 200 grams. Okay. And that sounds about right. The ribs stay the same. <laughs> okay. So, the units of ribs... Okay, Americans gotcha. have the same number of ribs as... Um, us <laughs> English. I, who says I'm referring to Americans here? I could be talking to our UK listeners. They're not. They don't use imperial system though. Fair That's point. Fair point. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much the US, which is just seems to um deviate from that. Canadia. Yeah. Right. They um. Don't let's not offend Canadian. Yeah, of course, because they 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 up with it. They're part of the Commonwealth, <laughs> my man. The Commons. We are. All right, right, so, so you got the dimensions. So you told us where it is. You told us its dimensions. What else can you tell us about the anatomy? What if we were to slice into it? How's it look? Uh, well, it's got two. But do you want to talk about it embryologically first? Oh, it's nothing too exciting. It um, kind of develops. I don't want to go into too much depth, but w- well, again, for once, good. Oh, no, no. Uh, your gut tube. Again, go back to the gut tube. As always. Um, if you remember, you've got. The gut tube is suspended. Well, the gut tube is broken into three parts. Foregut, midgut, hindgut. Mm-hmm. This is in the foregut. Okay. So, this is the top part. It will. The foregut develops things from stomach, a touch of duodenum, all the way Just back. Just a touch. All the way back to esophagus, right? So, do you know when, um, how many weeks the spleen starts to develop? Oh. Or is that pushing too far? Everything seems to be about four, fourth week. Okay. But... Let me jog my mind and see if I can get back to it. So, the ventral, sorry, the, the gut tube in, in the foregut has peritoneum that runs to the front wall and peritoneum that runs to the back wall. As though it's separating left and right segments of the... Yeah, yeah perfect. Uh, in the, the front wall part, that's where your liver develops into. Okay. So, your liver and part of your pancreas... It's part of that fold. And, gall, and gallbladder. Yeah. F- folds up in or forms up in the ventral meso... Um, mesentery. Yeah. Okay. Most of the liver takes all that room up. And that's kind of explains, um, because that part of the gut tube will develop the stomach. Okay. And you know that that mesentery has a connection from the stomach to the liver. And that's the, the lesser omentum going to the, um, the falciform ligament to the front wall. Now you go to the back one, the dorsal mesentery, which goes to the back wall. That's where the spleen develops in that, in that little fold. Okay. And so, about 1 in 10 people, so about 10% of the population, or 15% of the population, actually have an accessory spleen, which means what? Well, um, as we said... Developmentally, uh, what, does, what, do, what does it mean? I mean, do you... Well, I think the way that the spleen develops is it doesn't necessarily develop uh, initially as this one perfect shaped organ that, okay. it, that it currently looks like. It's It kind of uh, develops in globules, okay, which has kind of trabecular that separate them. Similar to even the kidney, the kidney kind of can develop in kind of poles mm. and then it kind of merges into one and that okay. probably explains why the kidney has... My mum has an accessory. Kidney? Spleen. Oh, spleen. Explains kind of why the explains. kidney has... <laughs> the kidney has five blood vessel branches Yeah. because it probably innovated those five kind of lobules. Similar to the spleen, I would imagine it's developed in kind of parts that's merged into one. Okay. And so, 
Uh, would you say that they'd all be part of? They'd all have. Each of them would have a splenic artery. If like the accessory spleen would have a, a branch off the celiac oh, yeah. trunk. I think it has. I think it becomes really variable. I think okay. there is a combination of multiple lobules um, that can merge into one spleen, but then you have really funny. Um, uh, points that jut out at different points. So, it kind of looks knobbly, let's say. Right. And so, that can cause false positives when a clinician does uh, a spleen palpation. And they might think there's something wrong with it. Yeah. When, in fact, it's really just... You're palpating an accessory spleen. Not, not, or a yes, of it. Or just a, a different... Def- I don't want to say deformed, but just a different formed spleen. And then the, the so same, formation isn't highly conserved then. No, and the way that the splenic artery runs into it as it goes into the hilum, it may have different arrangements of the blood vessels right. outside it, and that would be the the different the different patterning of the arterial system. But right. I would say, like all anatomy, they like to give you this textbook um, perfect picture. Right, but it's probably not like that in. Real life, so it's probably quite. Oh, well, you said it. One in ten people will have some, some kind of difference, accessory, which may pose a problem if um, you develop uh, cancers like leukemias or lymphomas. Possibly, I'm not sure how well lymphomas, but le- leukemias will sometimes accumulate in the spleen. So, why would that be an issue if you had an accessory spleen? Well, and it's if it's not with the, the main the main one, it could be located somewhere else. And they, when they remove it, they might not find it. And gotcha. You've got a cancerous area that hasn't been removed. Sure. All right. Let's talk about the function then. What do you reckon? Well, you're the physiology man. All right. Well, easy. The spleen is a reservoir for many things, not just blood, but other things. <laughs> it filters, not just blood, but other things. Does it? Yeah. Okay. And we'll get there. And plays an immunological role as well. So, it's a reservoir, it's a filter, and it plays an immunological role too. So, these are three predominant functions. You could probably add another function there, which is that of hematopoiesis. Poi, poi. Yeah, see, Matt always teases me because I say hematopoiesis, which is the appropriate pronunciation. Matt says hematopoiesis, which I find insulting, but hematopoiesis, which is blood cell production, right? Uh, Which it, it, what, it, all the time? So it plays a role, the spleen plays a role in hematopoiesis up until about six months of age. Right. And then it stops. So before that, what happens? What do you mean? So hemato, hematopoiesis um, is the creation of new blood cells. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Okay, now, so in the embryo, and so where is it normally done in, in the adult? No. Uh, Bone marrow and thymus is what happens early on, so that's the primary sites of these blood cells. Okay, and so then and then you've got so these are primary lymphoid tissues, right, for the product for hematopoiesis, and then you've got something like the spleen, which is a secondary, the largest secondary lymphoid tissue. Okay, and so you haven't answered my question. So in adults, yes, where is the primary site for hematopoiesis? So sh- flat bones, for example. Okay, so bones. Yeah. Okay, so. Go back into the uterus. Um, oh, the, <laughs> you first, mate. <laughs> As an embryo. Okay. Now, you don't have bones. 
as an oh. embryo, right? True. So you're very so if you, rubbery. You if you get a newborn, bounce like a ball. If you get a, yeah, you get a newborn, drop it. It bounce back bounces. It won't break bones. Uh, mother oh. won't be happy though. Uh, no, I don't recommend dropping a baby. So My it doesn't have it doesn't have ossified bones. Yeah. Okay. So it can't make blood cells. Right. So what does it? The spleen. Yeah, spleen. But gotcha. if you want to be technical, even before that, the yolk sac. Hmm. The yolk sac. Hmm. You're yoking, mate. All right. So these are the functions. Up until that six months, five to six months, it stops hematopoiesis. Poi. Poiesis. Now you can the spleen can undergo this through certain disease states, but it's quite rare. So just to oh, let go un- know. undergo hematopoiesis. That's right. All right. All but right. Normally it wouldn't. Normally it wouldn't. Okay. So just to reiterate, because you went on big long tangents. No, I did not. The the, the spleen does three main things. It's a reservoir. Yeah. For storing stuff. Yeah. That's what a reservoir means. Okay. Uh, it's got an immunological function. Yep. And filtration. 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 That's right. Okay. So what are we what are we filtering? Okay. So we are filtering predominantly the red blood cells. Okay. So because what do you re- mean by that? Okay. So red blood cells. Yeah, I know what they are. Are produced through hematopoiesis, and red blood cells have a ha- uh, have a a, a lot. No, sorry. Thinking about chemistry here, a life of about 120 days. Okay. So they live for. Four. 120 days. Four months. Yeah, three months. Uh, four that's months. That's 90 days. <laughs> sorry. What? <laughs> that's 90 days. Yeah, four months. Sorry. Um, 120 days. Uh, after that amount of time, they get a bit old. Their um, current capacity isn't brilliant. They become a bit more rigid. They lose so why, their shape. Why is that just while we're there? This is an important point, actually. I don't know. Why? Well, they've got a lot of um, kind of surface and... Uh, how would you say it? Cytoskeletal proteins. Yeah. That give it its ability to hold its shape, which should be. The biconcave donut looking shape. Yeah, like a donut, yeah. but not with a hole in it. No. Okay. But with a compression in the middle. Yeah. So it can almost fold in half mm. without snapping, right? But do you know the other reason why it's got that compression? Okay. Depression, I should say? Um, no. It's because regardless of where the oxygen is. Mm. It, if it was in the middle there and it was wider, it would have a thicker space for diffusion. And so, being biconcave, at the edges, it's got a short space for diffusion, and in the middle, it's got a shorter s- space for diffusion. Okay. To get out of the cell. The oxygen? Yeah. All right. Anyway, back back to the structure Ranch. of it. Yep. Um, it has these proteins that hold its kind of shape in place, right? Now, what... How is red blood cells different to most other cells? Uh, it doesn't have a nucleus. Yeah, so the, therefore it can't do what? Uh, creates anything. Hmm. So it can't okay. it can't transcribe or translate DNA. Can't make proteins. Yeah, that it, one. That's that's important step. So can't, can't make proteins. So can't, why? It can't renew its proteins and its structure. Gotcha. So when its structure starts to break down just due to the wear and tear yeah. of being thrown around the system mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of times, uh, it can't just renew itself. Correct. It can't repair its damage. So so when this happens, it will inevitably, because it's going through the arterial system, it's going to get go from the left ventricle through the aorta, down the abdominal aorta, through the celiac branch, so through the splenic artery. Yeah. Through what's called central 
materials that go so into the spleen. So now we're in the spleen, right? Now we're in the spleen, so we can follow this blood flow through, right? Um, and then from this uh, central arterials, it's going to branch out throughout the spleen into these capillary-like structures. Now, these capillary-like structures are the first part of the two, three major sections of the spleen, which is the white pulp, the red pulp, and then the marginal zone, which sits between the white pulp and the red pulp. All right, so if you just use the red and the white, which presumably is just named because that's what it looks like. Yeah. Which one, what percentage for each? So the white pulp's about 25% of the whole spleen, okay. and the red pulp's about 75% of the whole spleen. So the red pulp seems to be a lot more abundant, so they're maybe more important function. Well, they're not, I shouldn't say more important, but a lot more dominant. Yes. So okay. we'll get there, though. Because so I think we should follow this bloodstream through, because then we can talk about white, then we can talk about marginal, then we can talk about red, and then we can cover all those functions. All right, so we've branched off yep. to the, what do you call the end arterioles? Yeah, so we've got the, yeah, so you've got the central arterioles and then the terminal arterioles, and we know what terminal means. Terminal's referring to right at the very end, right? To terminate. To terminate. Um, and then what we have are these arterioles are surrounded by basically T-cells. Okay. So, they're peri-arterial lymphatics. Okay. Sheaths. Pun? Sheaths. Yeah. So, there's peri-arterial Pals. sheaths. Pals. Yeah. Peri- yeah. So, so they're best friends. Peri-arterial lymphatic sheaths. Lymphatic sheaths. And so... These sheaths are like, when you think of a myelin sheath around a neuron, this is a sheath of T-cells. Now, specifically, they're CD4 cells, and CD4s helper, helper. turn into T-helper cells. And T-helper cells call upon basically the rest of the immune system to come and play and do their job, right? These, so, are, the, these are the cells that are problem in HIV, right? T4, yes, helper cells. CD4s, right. right? Yep. Yeah. Now, so this is right at the very ends of these terminal arterioles. And they've got T-cells in them. Now, dispersed throughout these T-cell sheaths are these nodules or follicles of B-cells. And B-cells, which are naive, what does that mean if a B-cell's naive? They haven't been turned on? Yeah, they haven't been pushed down a particular lineage. Because B-cells are important to make antibodies. Yeah, so B-cells can turn into plasma cells that then create antibodies, right? Mm. So what I'm saying is that at the end of these terminal arterioles within the spleen, they're surrounded by a sheath of T-cells and dispersed between the sheath of T-cells are follicles of B-cells. Now, that means that this part of the spleen is made up of T and B-cells, which has an immunological function. So, this thing we're talking about with the red blood cell at this point in time, it hasn't really got to do with this, it's quite this section. No, not yet. But, in saying that, you've also got a huge amount of macrophages dispersed so throughout th- this area as so well. So, are they in the follicular parts or the um, pals? Yes, they are. Oh, they are. And they're also in the tissue just outside of that, which is called the marginal zone. Okay, because they're on the margin. That's right. Now, if we know the function of macrophages, know the function of T-cells, know the function of B-cells, and we know that we've got blood flowing through. If, for example, there is a red blood cell that may have some sort of parasite, such as a malaria parasite, which is 
embedded in that base, uh, embedded in that blood cell, red blood cell, or, yeah. or some sort of virus or pathogen, okay. they could be recognised by either the macrophages or the or the CD4 T helper cells, which then present it to the B cells. They can then create antibodies. And then the antibodies can do their thing. They can surround it, target it to get killed off, and get rid of it for good. So this is one side of immunological targeting. So let's just put this in a hypothetical situation. Mm -hmm. Let's just say you had uh, a vaccine for hepatitis B. Okay. Okay. So they inject you with a fragment, or is it a virus that's just inactivated for hep b not yeah. sure okay. but at least we know that there is an antigen present okay so generally speaking with vaccines it's they're either um weakened uh is that what the term live attenuated means yeah okay um so they're weakened or they're modified not to cause necessarily a disease or a pathogen or they might just have fragments of that particular um, pathogen or virus. Like That's that. right. Yep. So let's, which we call an antigen. Yes. Okay. It's like a flag that sits yeah. on it saying, "I do not belong to you." Yeah. So let's say this hepatitis antigen has been injected with your vaccine. Okay. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of cells in your immune system that we call antigen-presenting cells. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, for this context, these have gobbled these um, hepatitis B vaccine up. And now they're travelling through the blood. Well, these antigen-presenting cells are macrophages. Yeah, so but they could be dendritic as well, though. Okay, good okay, point. So they're flying through the blood, and in this case, they've they've come into the spleen. Yes. So they've moved through the spleen artery, which you spoke about, and then they kind of segment into um, different parts of the spleen, mm-hmm. but they kind of go down a central arterial, yeah, which then comes into an area of where the pals are, which are the highly abundant regions of T-cells. Now, the T-cell may cause an interaction with this antigen-presenting cell, so the cell with a bit of hepatitis on it, yeah. which then um, communicates with the nearby follicular parts, is that what it was, with all the B-cells. Yeah. And there's always a special B-cell for a particular antigen in the True. body, right? Yeah. So you have to find the right B cell. And this is this this is what always, it always blew me away in immunology. Mm. How you could have millions and millions of different antigens that we would come into contact with, but there is a special type of B cell out there or in in you that just would you. that would just pick up that antigen. <laughs> yeah. So somehow we select, we find, we locate that B cell with the right uh key, let's say. Um, for that uh, hepatitis viral antigen, okay? And then it comes over and has this kind of interaction, this kind of communication where it says to the B cell, all right, you're the man or you're the woman, you're the, you're the main player here. Yeah. I'm going to tell you to become activated. So it's now not naive anymore. It's now become active. You're giving us all an immunology lesson yeah, okay. here. Uh, and so what it kind of does is it kind of turns into a plasma cell, probably amongst other things, and starts cloning itself in one part. So it just copies itself. And then another kind of form of it will just start spewing out antibodies. Mm -hmm. So these are special little proteins that are designed to bind to that original antigen. So now, hopefully, with the help of the spleen, correct me if I'm wrong, you're now getting really good exaggerated immune response to that 
pathogen or in this case that vaccine. Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah, well, the spleen contains um, about half of all the antibody-producing B lymphocytes. Okay. So, it's, re- it's quite important when it comes to eliciting a response to a vaccine. You'll still elicit a response if you've had a splenectomy or you don't have a spleen, you're, you're asplenic, but um, it obviously has a higher amount of B lymphocytes that can turn into antibody-producing cells. Now, I think they found... I just I read this earlier, and they said that um, they found that soldiers that um, sustained certain injury in one of the world wars who required to get a spleen removed. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't say spleen; you only got one. Their spleen, the removed spleen, yeah, because of a trauma. Which um, is actually it's the spleen is the most commonly injured abdominal organ. They through tra- had trauma. quite a, a larger risk of developing pneumonia. Yeah. Later in life. That's right. And so, sepsis. So, that, so one of the main, not to say it's a huge risk, but obviously um, you want to live. So, if you need to get your spleen removed, that was the most important thing. But from my research, one of the main increase um, likelihood is bacterial infections. Yes. Post spleen removal. Predominantly um, encapsulated bacteria. So, that's like... The bacteria for pneumonia? Yeah, pneumococci. And also, I think, meningitis. Correct. Okay. Yep. All right. All right, so, this is the side of B and T cells, so that's, the immune, that's the immune part of this, please. Yeah, I mean, the immune part happens all throughout, basically, but so this I mean, is no, the that's, primary that's, that's side of... one of the three things you spoke about. That's right. So, yep. let's finish off this little red blood cell, then. So okay. Come- now, but this is called the white This is called the white pulp. I'm not sure if we emphasize that. Um, now, as this blood cell... Continues through red blood cell. Red blood cell, the old one. Yes, okay. we go from arterioles and capillaries to venules, right? Okay. But here in the spleen, ninety percent of these blood vessels aren't directly attached to venules. So what happens is that you've got what's called an open circulation for ninety percent of them, which means the blood basically just drains out into the tissue surrounding, just like a tap. Yeah, just like a tap. Now, but this tissue is very fibrous and reticulated, which means oh, like it's, a, like explains a, why it's like that, like a network. And the venules are called sinusoids. Okay. So the sinusoids are telling you that there's very big gaps between the endothelial cells of that blood vessel. Now these slits are between one to five micrometers in diameter. So what that means is in order for the blood to get back into the venous system, which it wants to, it has to move through these little one to five micrometer slits. And a red blood cell is usually about seven. Yeah, but a healthy red blood cell can fold itself, right? Yeah, that's right. And so it can get through. An unhealthy one or an old one is going to get stuck. So, that, that guy that's got the protein problems can't repair its little bendy house. The red blood cell. It can't, <laughs> it can't fit through that gap anymore. Yep, stuck. And so, it gets stuck in there. Yeah. And then what? And then all the macrophages in this area start to run towards it and phagocytose it. So, macrophages are like little Pac-Men. Swallow it. Swallow the red blood cell. Kill it and break it into its little parts. That's right. So the important parts that it recycles. Are what are the important parts? Iron. 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 I O N. I R O N. Iron. Iron. Yep. Okay. So it that's toxic. 
So it needs to have a joint to a protein, which is transferrin, and then it will get shot back to the probably the liver or bone marrow to be reused again. So is that the only point, only thing we want to recycle for red um, blood cells? Well, other parts of the red blood cell is hemoglobin. Okay. okay. So the globulin part, that's the protein part, it yeah. just gets busted up into amino acids, dropped off from the blood again, and then that can get recycled in other ways. Right. The last part is the heme part. But that's where the iron was, wasn't that's it? That's where the iron was, but it got pulled off. Okay. It can be recycled into biliverdin, something like that. Biliverdin. So, this is kind of like a byproduct that needs to be, kind of needs to be modified to be sent back to the liver. Are we talking about that today? No, we've already spoken about that in the liver, right? And then liver will essentially make it into bilirubin and drop it into its, its bile system, which, you know, that gives the poo, the brown color, and gives sometimes it can be re- reabsorbed in the bowel and be recycled into yellow when that gives you urine, the yellow, urobiligin. What about bile? Yeah, I spoke about that. Oh, cool. Um, so, in that case, if you have too much destruction of red blood cells yeah. in the spleen, mm. you might go yellow. Okay. Because you're making too much, or you're killing too many red blood cells. So you don't have you're making too much hepatitis, but you may still get jaundice. Yeah, and this is called prehepatic jaundice. Okay, because so upstream. Upstream. So this could be from, I think it's called intravascular or extravascular um, jaundice injuries. So you can get injury within the blood vessel yeah. or injury... Within the spleen. Yeah. Okay. Of red blood cells. Gotcha. So, anything that requires red blood cells to get killed at a higher rate, mm. such as if you've got malaria, such as got um, sickle cell anemia. Okay. Like um, some thalassemias, oh. um, glucose 6-phosphate deficiency, is that one? G-X-G-6-PD or something. Yeah. These are all... Red blood cell issues. Okay. And that can cause too much red blood cells to be killed in the spleen. And then you overload yourself with that yellow pigment and you can go yellow. So, these sinuses in which the red blood cells have to get filtered through these slits, mm-hmm. they actually got a barrel shape to them, right? Like a wine barrel. Like a wine bar- barrel. So, the endothelial cells are quite long with a decent space. So, you can think of this... this um, the slats, the wooden slats of the barrel, it's been the endothelial cells with some spaces between them, and then they're held together with these metallic bands, which are these basically just annular fibers, the connective tissue holding it together. Okay. So this is part of the sinusoid. So the red blood cells have to go back into this. Now, for the, I said this is 90% of the where the blood's going through the spleen. But for the other 10%, and remember I said that's an open circulation, has to basically fall out of the arterial end and then jump back into the venous end through these slits. For the other 10%, it's a closed circulation, which basically means it goes from arterial to capillary to venule. Okay. Okay? And, you know, this is going to be normal oxygen exchange, nutrient exchange, all that type of stuff. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Right. And then the venules just feed back out parallel to where the arterials are. And then back out next to the splenic artery. So, splenic vein joins the inferior mesenteric. But doesn't the splenic vein also join up with some of the pancreatic veins? Yeah. Yeah. Inferior mesenteric, superior mesenteric become the portal vein. 
Into the liver. Into the liver. Okay, so that means that whatever's been degraded and yeah, destroyed... Has a very quick pathway to the liver. Straight to, and the liver, we know, will further... Well, not further detoxify, will detoxify if required. Or metabolize if required. Yeah, particularly the things that just broken down. So, um, Including the, that bilirubin. The iron is very easy to transport to the liver, and the bilirubin can be made quickly into the bilirubin, and the liver can deal with it. Cool. Um, you know, there's some people that have uh, a spleen that's about 50% bigger than ours. Do they? Yeah. Some people of Southeast Asia, this is called the Bijo people, and the Bijo people, 60% of their time they spend in the water hunting, um, you know, fish, octopus, sea creatures of varying sorts. Okay, so uh, how does that benefit then? Well, they've been doing this for over a thousand years and so if they're spending a lot of their time in the water, they need to dive relatively deep, which means they need to hold their breath, which means they can't breathe oxygen, which means they have this oxygen required capacity and what the spleen does is I said earlier on that it is a reservoir and it's actually a reservoir for red blood cells. Not a large reservoir because even though the spleen gets 5% of our cardiac output, it only stores about 25 mils of blood on average. But for these individuals, it stores a greater amount of oxygenated red blood cells. And in times of stress or when we require oxygen, you can stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, which will tell adrenaline to tell the smooth muscle of the spleen to squeeze and contract and squirt more of this oxygenated red blood cells out so that these individuals actually have an increased oxygen carrying capacity yeah so the the they got kind of like the myo epithelial cells Mm -hmm. which are like the ones in the breast i think that kind of contract you know the ones that let milk down in the breast yeah similar to that i guess yeah probably i assume so so they've done they've done a whole lot of interesting experiments with the spleen so i think this is just a brief bit of research that i did in 1852, uh, this is a bit brutal, a decapitated human. They so does decapitation mean head off or does it mean anything off? Well, decap it. means to take the roof off, right? Capitate is head. So it is decapitate? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, head I off. Know, I don't know the reason of why it was decapitated in this case. Okay. But they found that this human that just been decapitated... They, if they stimulated the splenic nerve, which is obviously the nerve to the spleen, the spleen would change size and shape. Wow. And uh, color, even. Wow. And so they didn't re- didn't do a great deal more in that space. They just went, that's cool, and they just <laughs> tossed not. the body in the river. <laughs> but then they found, like, then later research found that in cats, okay, um, if you got the cat to do some rapid activity exercise, okay? <laughs> like what? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't look into how they actually did it. <laughs> but the, I think the cat did a lot of activity. Right. And then um, uh, it's, again, I'm not sure if it was decapitated in this case. <laughs> then it, if its spleen was removed, mm. they found that the size of the spleen was smaller. Okay. After, after exercise or after removal? After... Well, they got the cat to do a lot of exercise, um, euthanized it, and found that the size of the spleen in the exercise ones compared to the non-exercise were a lot smaller. Ah. Okay. So, then they uh, they keep moving around different animals. But then they moved to the dog and the horse. Right. Okay. And they found that if you were to force exercise dogs, hmm. um, they didn't kill them in this, this, this case. Oh, no. Just the cats. <laughs> <laughs> if you force exercise 
dogs, they found that their both their hematocrit and their hemoglobin levels. So hematocrit is the amount of red blood cells in the whole whole blood. Yeah, which should be about forty five percent. Yeah, um, hemoglobin is in grams. Mm-hmm. Okay, which I think is about fifteen grams per hundred mils. Okay, they found that if you got these dogs to exercise excessively. Um, again, I'm not sure what kind of exercise this was. They it's found that they went dramatically higher. Both hematocrit and hemoglobin. Yeah. Compared to the dogs that had their spleen removed. So, spleenectomized. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Dogs. Okay? How's that sound so far? Yeah. And so, they, so, so, just to, Okay, so wait. So, you're saying that... So, dogs who had a spleen and did exercise had high... Forcefully. Had, I know you had to put the dog... I don't think you could force a dog to exercise. They love it. But had high hematocrit, high hemoglobin. Those yeah. dogs that had no spleen yeah. and forced to exercise... No change. No change. In the hematocrit or the... Okay. Yep. So, then so they, taking this, so this in consideration with the cat stuff and then yeah. this further stuff... Yeah. So, then they jumped back into humans. And this is the 1970s now. Right. And they found if you... Um, and injected the human with adrenaline, mm-hmm. their spleen, again, would do similar to what they found in the decapitated human. Right. Change size and change color. Okay. Now, they weren't really sure what was happening, if it was whole blood or certain sec- sections were of, of blood was um, admitted in different... They, they assumed that the whole spleen would just contract. Yeah. And everything would get shot out at a height. Like, because you know how you said it was a reservoir? Yeah. And they just just contract from yeah. the adrenaline. Like if you had a a, a water balloon and just squeezed it, everything yeah. just gets shot out. As opposed to compartments within that water balloon. Yeah. But they found when when given humans adrenaline What? When given humans adrenaline, yep. they found that red blood cell and the hematocrit went up within sixty seconds. Okay. Sixty seconds. Sixty seconds. Yep. But white blood cells and platelets took over ten minutes. So, so what's going on? So, then they come to the conclusion that it was really much more... The spleen was much more of a reservoir for red blood cells right. rather than whole blood. Oh, okay. okay. Although, what you said to me earlier, probably not in, the, not in this podcast yet, it the spleen has some um, capacity to hold a lot of platelets. One third of platelets in the body can actually be held within the spleen. And similarly, it's released with adrenaline. So, a, yeah. a stressed response. Yeah. Which, which makes, makes sense. Because yeah, if, if you're... If I decide flight to stab in, you in a second because you won't shut up. If you're in, there's a potential that you're going to bleed, you know, get injured. Yeah. So, you probably want more platelets to be released at that point. You want right? to be able to clot. Yeah. So, um, they kind of came to the conclusion then, then there's a big function of red blood cells being released in exercise, but like you said, also to do with hypoxia. Okay. Did I say that? Yeah, with diving. Oh, of course. So, yeah, when yeah. they're diving underwater to get whatever, they're not having a lot of oxygen going on, right? Mm-hmm. So, the two other animals that have humongous spleens... Humongous. Relative so to everything. So, medically, humongous is what size? <laughs> well, okay. The, the, the mammal with the largest... So, all vertebrates... Okay, all vertebrates um, have spleens except except the hagfish. So the hags, that's why they're so angry. 
Because I thought that was the seed of anger. That no, must so be very zen. That doesn't work then. <laughs> anyway, uh, the the animal, two, the two mammals with the biggest spleen, uh, is a seal, the Weddell seal. The Weddell seal. The Weddell. Or is it just the wet seal? Weddell. Weddell. Yeah. Uh, and racehorses. Like tiny. Like it's a mm-hmm. Weddell. It's a Weddell Weddell. It's a Weddell seal. About three hundred fifty ki- kilometers. <laughs> three hundred fifty kilos. So it's not a Weddell seal at all. It's a really big seal. Okay. <laughs> anyway, its spleen's about three kilos. Our spleen's two hundred grams. Theirs is three kilos. Ours is two hundred grams. So close to one percent of their body weight is a spleen. Jeez. Okay. Ours is about a quarter of a percent. That's like the size of our liver. Yeah. Uh, and the racehorse. Why is it big? Why is it that big? Oh, so when it dives, it, its hematocrit, its hemoglobin goes up sixty percent. Right. So does this happen only once? So hypoxic conditions are doing this directly, yeah. or is hypoxic conditions stimulating um, sympathetic efforts? Oh, it could be. I'm not sure, but hypoxia will tell the liver, sorry, the spleen, to start contracting, and it will yeah. drop off. Um, 20 litres worth of red blood cells. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, considering we've only got about six litres floating in our body. Oh, it's equivalent of red blood cells. I'm not saying necessarily there's 20 litres of red blood cells. It's of equivalent of whole blood, I think. Okay. Oh, gotcha. It, it, because it's a percentage of yeah. whole blood, 45%. Okay. And, re- and the, finally, the horses. The horses store about a third to 50% of its red blood cells while it's just... You know, horsing around. Chill. <laughs> oh, don't laugh at my Weddell joke, but horsing around's fine. But when it's sprinting, like full out, yeah, galloping, it will contract its spleen, yeah, and it just gets it's like it's just blood doped. Wow! But I suppose that is a form of blood doping, isn't yeah. it? Except it's natural endogenous blood. Do- so what those cyclists should actually do is transplant Horses. a Weddell seal's <laughs> liver into the no spleen. Spleen. Why do I keep saying liver? I don't know. I don't know. I guess because we rarely talk about the spleen. It is quite interesting, though, isn't it? It is. Um, Any other animals have interesting spleens? Not really. Like I said, mum's got two. Maybe I've got two. And you really wouldn't know you had one unless you did like uh, an ultrasound or something. Well, that's how she found out. would be asymptomatic. Yeah, no issues. So the main things that would cause any issues to the spleen is obviously um, trauma is the big one. Yeah, it's a big so one. So blunt trauma or any kind of um, penetrating injury is yeah. going Now, because m- my guess, this is just the top of my head, why it is removed is because it's, like you said, 75% of its red pulp mm. and it's got open blood supply. Mm. It can bleed, not a not a pulsation bleed, but it kind of percol- percolates and just will, you'll lose a lot of volume from it. Yeah. And so, um, with, if you can't stop it, and like you said, because you've got all these open networks, you can't really clamp them off. No. So, I reckon once it's been lacerated or severely damaged, you can't stop the bleeding. Yeah. And so, it's I'd, probably I'd easy agree. to whack it, whack it out. That's it. But increase the infection rate, like you stated, goes up. But not dramatically. So, if you don't have a spleen, you've had it removed, don't think you're going to, you know, keel over tomorrow from pneumonia. No, 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 no. It's no, only no. a small increase. And it's usually within the first five or so years. Um, and I think it's higher in infants than it is in adults. And uh, any uh, other things? Uh, lymphomas, obviously, is another one that's affected. So, spleen can become splenomegalic. So, splenomegalic. Why, why is that? Well, because it's going to be increasing the amount of 
white blood cells that it produces, and considering it's got all those T cells and B cells. And one more. What? That's one, but another one. What do you mean? Uh, where did where did you make all your blood cells as an as an embryo? Oh, of course, in, within the spleen. And so, when you're producing um, a cancerous white blood cell, it's pumped out like a leukemia. It's mm. pumped out into the blood. Mm. Okay, and um, leukemia blood cells are very immature, so they're like little infants, mm. um, little babies, and they need a a, a a familiar home to go to, and they remember the spleen. No, oh, there you go. And they hang out in the spleen because it's a familiar. It's like their first home. Yeah. Remember your first home? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it likes to hang out there because it f- feels nice and homely for it. And so some of the leukemias will cause, like you said, um, an enlarged spleen or possibly lymph nodes or liver. Mm. The other big thing that causes enlarged spleen is congestion. So if you have Portal hypertension, so your liver is cirrhotic and you have like a high blood pressure, but in the portal system, which would be what? Back into the blood pressure of 20, Mm. it goes up, it's going to back up into the spleen and swell it up. Sure. Or right sided heart failure, possibly. Yeah, okay. That's a fair point. That's pretty much it. So that's 40 ish minutes on the spleen. That's more than you'll ever get anywhere else, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, don't be. Spleenful, Michael. I won't. Is, oh, you could do some final housekeeping. Oh, yeah. You can follow Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike on Facebook. Just type Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. We've got a YouTube channel where you can learn anatomy and physiology. We've got Instagram. Maddie is at Dr. Bartox. I'm at uh, one of my Mikey, Mickey Todd. I always ruin that. It's uh, Mickey Todd, which is M-I-C-K-E-Y-T-O-D. Feel free to follow me and Maddie on Instagram. Uh, follow Instagram. Uh, sorry, uh, not Instagram. Twitter. Twitter. Uh, you can always send us an email at GU Biosciences. Again, um, we'll try and get back to you as fast as we possibly can. I think there's only one left that I haven't responded to yet, and we're all good. Um, but apart from that, have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.